Welcome back to a special edition of the Daily Devotionals Podcast. I'm your host, Marcelo Manser, with Pastor Wayne Jamal. Every week, we'll share a short devotional to give depth and breath to your walk with Jesus. Today, you have a special edition of Pastor Wayne's sermon entitled, Changing the Taste of Fear. Once again, I will leave you with him. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray you be with us as we go into your word. I pray it will help us to understand it better and that it will provide encouragement for us, your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I am not a germaphobe. Uh, yeah, you are. Uh, why else are you being so squeamish right now? I- I'm not being squeamish. I-, I just don't want you to drink out of my cup. What's wrong with that? Because if you drink out of my cup, then I'm not going to drink out of it. Uh, why would you even drink out of my cup anyway? Um, because I was thirsty and your cup was right there. Yeah, why don't you just go and go get your own cup then? Why would I want to do that when your cup's right there? That is disgusting. You're a germaphobe. My friends started making fun of me and... From that point forward, it kept calling me a germaphobe. And it wasn't that I was a germaphobe. I just didn't like germs. And then they would like get on my case. They would like, uh, they would uh, take their plastic forks and their plastic knives and start licking them and start chucking them at me. And I would have to just dodge them all over the place because they were constantly trying to get me to get spit on me. I don't like spit. I don't like saliva. Not a germaphobe, just don't like germs. But the thing is, germs are all around us. We can't avoid it. And so, imagine if the germs around us were deadly. There was uh, one boy named David. David uh, was born in 1971, and he was known as the boy in the bubble. In 1971, David Philip Vetter was born in a Texas uh, children's hospital and he was born in a germ-free environment and he was placed into a sterile plastic bubble. He was placed in this bubble because he had a, a rare condition that prohibited him from being exposed to germs. Because if he was exposed to germs, it would mess up his immune system and it would mess him up completely because he didn't have the white blood cells uh, that could fight it off. And uh, I mean, they've helped people with this condition before, but they needed to find an exact tissue match with that person, but they didn't have an exact tissue match. His sister's uh, bone marrow was not a perfect match of him. And so he, uh, he didn't have a chance living in the outside world. But they were trying to figure out something, some way that they could uh, help him, some way that they could save him. While they were figuring it out, they had to isolate him from the germs of the air and they put him in this bubble. As he got older, he uh, went to school in the bubble. Didn't actually go to school, but attended school on the telephone. They would 
turn on a telephone, on speakerphone, the microphone would catch his voice, and that's how he did class. He was a straight A student, but on the phone. His mother couldn't hold him, his mother couldn't touch him, his mother uh, couldn't do anything, neither his uh, dad or his sister. They were, he was isolated from the outside world. Later on, in 1977, he was a little older now, about six years old, he, they made this, uh, this some sort of like spacesuit kind of thing so that he can have more freedom. He could walk around. He was able to get outside of the hospital, but he, even though he was outside of the hospital, he couldn't feel the fresh air. He couldn't feel the breeze. He was still isolated inside a bubble. People started calling him Bubble Boy. He went out a few times, but he could just never get used to it. In the public's eye, he was uh, known to be a well-behaved, handsome boy with these uh, expressive eyes and dark hair. But behind the scenes, it was a very different story. Because as David got older, his psychologist would actually describe the rage that he would exhibit. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the boy was trapped inside of a bubble. And matter of fact, one time he complained and he said, uh, why are you putting me in a cage? Am I an animal that I have to be in a cage, a wild animal? This poor kid trapped inside a bubble. You know, that's a, a very depressing thing. It's a very scary thing. And right now, we are in a very scary time. I mean, this idea of being quarantined, this idea of not being able to go outside freely, to not be able to go to churches, to not be able to hang out with your friends, to be isolated, is not a comfortable thing. There was another David in the Bible who couldn't live at home any longer. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41, it talks about how David uh, had, a, had escaped from, David, from Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. Saul threw a spear at him and Jonathan was trying to convince him to come back and everything, but David, okay, well, let's find out if the coast is clear. Jonathan realizes that the coast is not clear. And when it was clear to both David and Jonathan that they were not gonna, they were not gonna see each other, at least not for a while. It says in verse 41, as soon as the lad had gone, Jonathan's servant, David arose from a place towards the south, fell on his fall on his face to the ground and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another and they wept together. And David more so. David was devastated because he was being isolated from his friend. He was being isolated from, from his best friend, Jonathan. He was being isolated from his wife, uh, Michael. He was being isolated from his uh, home. 
and he had to flee as a fugitive. Imagine being in a situation where you can never see your family and your, your friends again. Imagine being like David, having to run for your life, be isolated from all the people that you care about. In the next chapter, 21, verse 1, it says, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? He was a little skeptical. What's going on? Why is David and uh, these, uh, these burly men, uh, these like soldier type men coming to his uh, place? Well, what are you, what's going on? So David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business which, on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Um, that right there was not true. David was not sent by the king. The king Saul didn't send him on some business. The last time David really saw King Saul, Saul tried to pin him to a wall. Saul wasn't sending him out to, to go do some, some business for him. This was a straight up lie. David had sinned. Huh. What was David up to? Why would he do this? Later on in the chapter, verse 8, it says, And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. Again, lying, saying that the king's business needed him to be in a rush. Uh, and so now he's asking for weapons. And so he didn't have any weapons on him. Give me a weapon. He had to run out of there. Didn't have anything with him. So the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. But there is no other except that one here. There's no other weapons here besides the sword of Goliath. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. <laughs> I, I don't blame David. I mean, if you were playing a video game and, and you had to select a weapon and one of the weapons was called the sword of Goliath, that sounds pretty awesome. Like Excalibur or something. And the sword of Goliath, that sounds like a mighty weapon. In fact, uh, if, you, if you look, uh, you remember the sword, the sword of David? You remember the, sto the, sto uh, the sword of Goliath, I just say? Uh, you remember the story about that? Let's actually go there. Let's go to uh, that chapter. Let's flash back to 1st. Uh, Samuel chapter 17, where we read about how Goliath had, had this sword and how David got the sword from him. Let's flash back and go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 
So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You came to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Yes, although Goliath's sword was legendary. For David... He didn't need a sword. When he took the sword of Saul, nah, I don't, I don't need this. He went and he got stones. He said to him, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. That's all I need. So why is it that now David wants the sword of Goliath? Then it says in verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you and take your head from you. Whoo, that is some serious fighting words. I'm going to rip your head off your body. I'm going to take your head off from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I'm going to rip your head off your body and the rest of the Philistines I'm going to feed to the birds. Some real good smack talk, man. And then... All this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. We don't need swords. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. That, the, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Here, Goliath came with his legendary huge sword. I mean, Goliath was a tall man. He was a giant for crying out loud. Imagine how big his sword was. But that sword was no match for a small little stone. See, because that small stone was being guided by the Lord. After he fell to the ground, I imagine the shock of all the armies of Gath, Goliath of Gath, his armies of Philistines. They were all shocked to see what had taken place. They couldn't believe that their warrior was taken down by this little kid without any weapons, without any armor. Just talking about a god. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. Uh-oh, but there was no sword in the hand of David. I mean, Goliath was hit with that stone, but maybe he was, uh, you could probably see him maybe, uh, maybe uh, still breathing or maybe he was completely concussed, but, but he wanted to make sure he finished the job and he didn't have a sword in his hand because he left the sword of Saul back at the camp. What was he going to do? Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, 
took his sword and drew it out of the sheath and killed him and cut his head with it. <laughs> that is some gruesome stuff. Chopping his head off. If this was on cable, this would be rated MA. I imagine as he chops off this guy's head and he raises the head over his own head, blood from this head and his body is gushing and coming all over him. The Philistines are jaw dropped. And it says, and when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. <laughs> the sword of Goliath was no match for the Lord. So now going back to our story, back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, fast forward, David has already killed Goliath, he already got married, he had this whole issue with Saul, he's now a fugitive, and now he's so scared, he lies to the priest, saying, oh, King Saul sent him on his business. He didn't need a lie. After all, he, this is the same David who killed Goliath, who the Lord used. Why does he need a lie? And now in verse 9, it says, in chapter, back to our story, 1 Samuel 21, verse 9. So the priest said, after David asked for a weapon, he didn't have any weapon. But David didn't need a weapon before anyway. But when he asked for a weapon, it says, so the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the, the Philistine, whom you killed in the Valley of Ella. There it is, wrapped in a cloth. Behind the ephod. Oh, they made sure they kept that sword. That was like a like a token, like a like a remembrance of the victory that David had through the Lord. There it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. But there is no other except the one here, that one here. So David said, oh, there is none like it. Give it to me. And he took that sword. Oh, he was older now. Maybe he can pick it up a little bit better. This big, huge sword. And all as cool as that sword may have seemed. Oh, there is none like it. Give it to me. He did not need it. What had happened to David? What happened to David when he would say... You come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you with the name of the Lord. What happened to that David? Now that he's a fugitive, he's, he's going and getting the, the sword of Goliath. He's lying to the priest. By the way, that, that lie to the priest got that priest killed later on. And boy, that hit hard to David. What was David doing? Then in the next verse, verse 10, it says, Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of... Wait, wait, wait. Gath? 
He goes to the king of Gath. Wait a minute. Goliath, the guy he killed, was Goliath of Gath. And now David lies, gets the sword of Goliath, which clearly is not that great, being that it got being that it, that Goliath was the feeder of a sword. And now he goes to the king of Gath. David should have been fleeing to God. He should have been running to God. God should have been the one that he went to for help. But he goes to the king of Gath. Wow. And the servants of Achish said to him, Wait a minute, is this not David the king of uh, the king of the land? Did they not say to him, to one another in dances? Didn't they say, sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul is slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands? Look at how they, you know, look at how it says, is this not David the king of the land? They already considered David the king. Forget about Saul. I mean, David was the one who killed their, their giant, their warrior. Isn't this David? What is he doing here? What was David thinking? Why on earth would you go to the Philistines? Why on earth would you go to the land that had the giant that you killed? Do you think they're going to like you? Do you think they're going to want you there? But David is not thinking straight. He's not going to God for guidance. And he goes to Gath instead. And when he goes to Gath, David quickly realizes that this was a mistake. Verse 12 says, now David took these words to heart. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Oh, why did I come here? And was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. David was afraid. What happened to the brave David who took on the giant? Whatever happened to the brave David that looked at the army and was like, is nobody going to fight this guy? Now David was now scared. So he changed his behavior before them. Change his behavior? What does that mean? Uh, that word behavior, that's a bad translation. Behavior? It, it, that, that word behavior comes from the Hebrew word ta'am. Ta'am. What does that mean? It means taste, which is the noun taste. Okay. Oh, well, what does that mean? So he changed his taste before them? Well, it's not that David was tasting something. It's kind of like, you know, today we're like, oh, he has bad taste. That doesn't mean that that he tastes, like you lick the guy's face like, oh, you have bad taste. No, that's not what it means. It means that you have a bad uh, desires or you have a bad uh, like likes. So the word taste here doesn't literally mean you, you're tasting somebody. It means the way you perceive the, the person, you know? So he changed his taste before them. He wanted them to, because they were getting a bad taste of him. They looked at him like, well, oh, that's David. Oh, we don't like that guy. And so David needed to change their mind of what he was, change their taste before them. And he pretended madness in their hands. 
he scratched on the doors of the gate and let, let saliva fall down on his beard. He started acting crazy, scratching and, and salivating all over the place. And they looked at him like, this is David? Nah, this can't be David. This cannot be the same David that killed Goliath. He made himself look like a fool. Whatever happened to making, trying to represent God and trying to put God in, in a good light. But David was scared and was the best thing he could think of was, if I act crazy, they won't think it's me. If I act crazy, they won't feel threatened. Then Achish said to his servants, look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Why are you bringing this guy here? Have I need of a madman? Do you think I need a crazy person? That you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence. Uh, shall this fellow come into my house? Are you going to really bring this guy here and bring him into my home? I don't think so. Get this guy away from me. So David was able to survive. But you know what? He could have survived without belittling himself to look like a crazy person. He could have survived by calling on the name of the Lord like before. He could have walked into Gath and said, I took down Goliath through the power of the Lord. I can take down this city. This city is mine. He could have done that. But instead, like a coward, he was like, ah, like he was crazy. Later on, David writes, writes a song about this time. He writes a song about this time when he was there acting like a crazy person. Let's go to that chapter, that, that book, uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 34. In Psalm chapter 34, we're going to read about what David wrote about this experience. After this experience, he learned a valuable lesson. Let's go there. And so here in Psalm chapter 34, it says in verse 1, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. I like how uh, in some psalms, uh, the psalmist David, he actually writes the context of why he's writing the song. A psalm of David when he changed his behavior. Behavior? There we go with that word again. Behavior. Remember the word behavior, ta'am, which means taste, the noun version? A psalm of David when he changed his taste before Abimelech. He gave him a different taste, a little different perspective of him who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times, David says. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Why is it that all of a sudden, David writes this song after he acts like a crazy person. Why all of a sudden now is he praising God? Well, right here, he changed, it, he changed his taste, the taste that he was putting out with Abimelech. He realized that he didn't need the sword of Goliath. 
he realized that it was really not him acting crazy that got him out of that situation. It was the fact that God saved him. So he says, I will praise the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. By the way, the word bless literally means to kneel. Uh, the, 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 the Hebrews, they like using very, very uh, literal words like the word taste or the word kneel. I will bless kneel to the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So in other words, uh, the idea of I will bless the Lord at all times. I will kneel to the Lord. In other words, that the idea of kneeling is like the ideal of like submission, the ideal of like honoring. Like, oh, you know, like a Filipino is like, oh, bless, 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 right? They, they, they kind of like bow. It's like an oh, honor. I honor the Lord. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth at all times. You know, David realized that because at that moment, before he got out of that situation, he was not blessing the Lord. He was busy being fearful. He was busy being afraid. He was busy uh, being so scared he ended up uh, compromising and lying. You know, right now we live in a time where a lot of people are afraid. Every time you turn on the news, there's something scary happening. People are all uh, panicking and scared. But even when you are afraid, will you still bless the Lord? Will you still honor the Lord? Will you still kneel in submission to the Lord? Bless the Lord at all times, in the good time and in the bad times. When you're in the palace, when you're a fugitive, when there's a peace in the land and when there's crisis, will you bless the Lord? Will you bless the Lord when you're comfortable? Will you bless the Lord when you're fleeing? Will you bless the Lord when everything's okay? And will you bless the Lord when things are hard? Bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know, the word behavior, taste, right? That's like something you taste with your tongue, you taste with your mouth. And so the idea, I will pr my pray, his praise will continually be in my mouth. You know, yeah, he changed the way they tasted him. But his mouth needs to praise the Lord. It says, my soul shall make it boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. You know, he realized that when God saved them from that situation, because he went there thinking that for some crazy reason, he ran over to Gath thinking that he would be okay, and he wasn't. And, and, but when God delivered him and got him out of that really crazy situation he put himself in, he says, I'm going to boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Yes. We are in a time where fear is a natural response. But the Bible says, David says, that the Lord 
hears him. I sought the Lord and he heard me. You see, for we want God to hear us, but are we seeking him? I sought the Lord. Are we seeking the Lord? We want God to hear us, but we're not busy looking for him. If you find yourself in a situation where God's not around, if you find yourself in a situation where, where, where you're lost from a, a group of people and, and you don't know where they are, and you decide, you know what, I'm just going to stay where I am. Hopefully they hear me. Hello? Hi? Hey? Hey, you guys, where are you? But you're not looking for them. How do you expect them to hear you? you got to look for the people that you've, you've somehow disconnected from, that you somehow uh, are away from. When you seek them, and then they will hear you. But if you just stay in one spot, how are they going to hear you? David says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me. See, David first ran away. Ran away all the way to Gath among all places. But now he says, I'm going to... I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. See, when we're afraid, why don't we go to the Lord? Why don't we go to him? Because God will deliver us from our fears. See, it's okay to be afraid. Fear is a natural feeling. But it's what we do with that fear. We got to go to God in the midst of our fear so he can deliver us from our fear. Fear is not a sin. Fear is natural. But we have a choice on how we handle that fear. See, David at first handled that fear by compromising, by lying. Then by taking up a sword which he did not need. David now realize when God saved them from getting killed at Gath, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. Oh boy, David really made his face shameful. He really made himself, his face ashamed. But it says, when we seek after the Lord, they look to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. You see how, how David humbled himself? This poor man, this poor guy, me, this poor guy, me, cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. You see, when David called the Lord, God heard, God helped him. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Interesting. It, it mentions the angel of the Lord encamped all around those who fear him. Fear? See, we're living in a time of fear. But yet it says that we ought to fear the Lord. And yeah, that fear, that's the same fear, that same word fear, Yare, that, that same word fear, that's the fear that, that we read that, that is used, that same word is used when they said, anybody who, who, is, who fears in this army, you can go home. The word fear. <laughs> 
The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. See, if you fear the Lord, then you don't have to fear anything else. See, I'm not saying that we have to be afraid of God. But we have to recognize that God is scarier than what anything this world can throw at us. And if we're on the side of the Lord, then it's just like, yeah, I'm good. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you ever, you ever were walking down the street and all of a sudden you see a guy and he's walking and he has a pit bull and you're like, mm, 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 and you walk across the other side of the street because you're, 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 that's fearful. That's a, you're afraid of that pit bull. But the guy holding the pit bull, he's not afraid of the pit bull. That's his pit bull. Maybe he should be afraid. I don't know. But the point is he has the pit bull and because the pit bull likes him, because the pit bull views him as family, that because the pit bull loves him and he loves the pit bull, the pit bull's a fearful, scary, scary animal to everybody else but the owner. See, God, God is scary. He is to be feared. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of judgment has come. You see, if you're not with God, if, you, if, if you're not aligned with God, when you see God coming down, uh, you better walk across to the other side. That's scary. But when there's a relationship, when there's a bond between you and God, God is scary to everybody else but you. Because that fear is now your protection. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him. You have a full protection by God. You see, you don't need the bubble. God is the fortress. See, the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. See, God is gonna protect us. He's willing to take care of us. We don't need to be afraid of what life is gonna throw at us. You know, see, right now we're in a very scary situation. There's going to be more scary days to come. Jesus predicted about how there's going to be even worse days. There's going to be like a time like you've never experienced. There's going to be a time where, where Christians are going to be killed, where, where, where family is going to betray family. It's going to be all types of craziness. But the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, taste? Did he just say taste? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That word taste. This word taste, tam, taim, taste is the verb. Back, back in the first verse, uh, and back in, 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 in the book of Samuel, it had this word, time. Taste, the noun version. Look at the two words, side by side. Look at them. They're, they're the same word. This is the one little extra dot in there to make it a verb. They're the same word, taste. So when he said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, David is doing a play on words. He wrote this chapter commemorating that moment of embarrassing embarrassment where he changed his taste and he was like, oh boy, look at him. 
he at first he changed his taste in a negative way. First they're like, that's David. That's him. Remember, they used to be afraid of David. Now David was afraid of them. And now David didn't want them to be afraid of him because they might try to kill him. And so David tried to change his taste. He tried to change the way they perceived him. And, and he acted like he was a crazy person. They're like, oh, he's no threat. But you see, now he's talking about a different taste. The one that he the, the taste that he wants is the flavor of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, you want people, you want people to look at you and have a different taste. When people look at Christians right now, they, they look at them and they have a bad taste in their mouth. Oh, Christians. People look at Christians and they, and they get a, uh, they, 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 maybe they look at Christians and, and they get the idea like, oh, these people are judgmental or whatever. Or, or maybe they look at Christians like, and maybe they might even think, oh, look at these, look at these uh, scaredy cat Christians. They talk a big game and all of a sudden now, uh, uh, now when, when, when there's hardship, oh, well, where's your God now? Bad taste in their mouth. But David says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, we're meant to be the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its flavor, its taste, how then will it be seasoned? It is good for nothing. See, that salt, for it to be effective, needs to not be in a, a shaker. Imagine just having a plate of food and somebody says, uh, hey, can you pass me the salt? I need to put some salt in, the food, in my food here. I need some flavor or something. And you take the salt shaker and you just go, and you just put the whole entire shaker in his food. It's like, what is wrong with you? Take the salt out of the salt shaker and sprinkle it on. See, sometimes our churches are just in the middle of a neighborhood, but we're not mingled with them. We're not connected with them. See, right now, so many churches are now closed down because of this whole situation. Does it make a difference? Because many of us, many of our churches have no impact in our communities anyway. Right now, we can have an impact. We can flavor our communities by mingling with people. Now, obviously, we have uh, the whole situation going on and we can't necessarily always be around people per se like that. If we do, we have to have some sort of uh, social distancing. And even then, uh, you know, there's a lot of rules that keep changing with it. And, but you can still connect with people, phone call, uh, talk to them, maybe do some community service. But the point is that we cannot taste good unless we've tasted the Lord. See, the Lord needs to be in our life so it can change our flavor. And so right here it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. God is able to bless you. He's able to honor you when you trust in him. You see, fear, fear can go away when you trust in God. Oh, fear the Lord. See, when we fear God, we don't have to fear anything else. Oh, fear, recognize his awesomeness. Recognize the fact that he's scary and he's scared of all the bad guys. He's scared of anything that's trying to go against. Oh, fear the Lord, you who saints, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. 
You know, there's a lot of people with wants, a lot of people who are desperate. People are just buying out everything on the shelves. But for us who trust in the Lord and we fear Him, we have no want. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. See, even the lions, the king of the jungle, their youngs get hungry. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. See, yeah, you might lack some things, but not good things. The things that you need, the things that are good for you, God will provide it. He'll supply all your needs. Come, you children, listen to me. David says, I will teach you to fear the Lord, the fear of the Lord. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I know. I know what it's like. I will teach you. I'll show you. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil. See, David's tongue didn't stay away from evil. He, his tongue lied. Your lips from speaking deceit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David. It's like, let me teach you. Not that he knew, but that he, he knew better and he learned his lesson. I've been there. I've done that. Let me teach you to fear the Lord. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. We should be seeking peace. Right now we're in chaos, but we should be looking for the peace. See, God can provide that peace that passes all understanding. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. See, God is full aware of what's going on. He hears us. He sees us. He's not oblivious. He knows what's going on. He can take care of us, but we ought to exercise our trust, our faith in him. Let our faith expel our fear. Let's taste the Lord. Let's experience him. Let's perceive him in the right way. Let us taste that the Lord is good. Change the taste in your mouth. If, the, if what you're tasting right now is panic and fear and, and sadness Taste something else. Taste the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord, that tastes good. See, that fear, that honor of the Lord, that, that respect of the Lord, that, that, that idea that God, my God is scarier than what you have to offer, that, that tastes good. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. See, they should be scared of God. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. See, right now we're in trouble. We're in danger right now. But the Lord is able to deliver us out of that. Do you trust him? The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And saves such as have a contrite spirit. If we can humble ourselves to the Lord, although our hearts are broken and although we're down, and, and yeah, we'll be isolated uh, and disconnected from regular everyday life, and this can get very disheartening. But the Lord is near you. So you might be away from people that you want to hang out with, but the Lord is right by your side. He is near you and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. What? That doesn't sound good. The righteous are going to have a lot of affliction. A lot of, the righteous are going to have a lot of problems. Yeah. 
but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I love that. Although we have so many problems, the righteous are going to have so many afflictions, but the Lord will deliver them out of all of them. You say, what do you mean? Uh, there are plenty of righteous people who have died. Well, guess what? That's not the end of their story either. See, I'm not being presumptuous that, that, this, that this, this is not going to have any uh, bad effects. Yes, there will be afflictions, there will be troubles, but the Lord will deliver us out of all of them. Do you trust in the Lord? Have you tasted the Lord is good? He who guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. He'll protect us. He'll be our defense. Evil shall slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. But the Lord redeems the soul of his servants. And none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Let the rest of the world, let the rest of the evil of this world, let them be condemned. But as for me, as for us, we won't be condemned because we are trusting in the Lord. See, they can quarantine us. They can lock down the city. They can do whatever they want, but they cannot separate the Lord who is near us. So let's go back to our story. Let's go back to our story about David. David is uh, this kid, uh, the, the, the boy in the bubble. At the age of 12, by the time it was uh, late 1983, David began losing hope that he would ever leave the bubble. And so they decide, you know, we got to do something. It is not good for this kid. And so they, uh, David undergoes an experimental bone marrow transplant with his sister's uh, tissue. But it wasn't a perfect match, remember. It's only been successful with perfect matches before, but like, we got to give it a try. So they tried it and he started... He started to get better, things started to look good. But 15 days after, he was removed from the bubble for treatment. They took him out of the bubble because 15 days later because they realized that he wasn't gonna make it. And they took him out of the bubble. For the first time, he was outside of the bubble because they knew he was gonna die. And finally, at the age of 12, his mom got to kiss him for the first time. But after she kissed him, not long after that, he died. You see, the, the transplant from his sister didn't work out. But you see, there's a different kind of blood the blood of Jesus Christ that will always be the right match. It will perfectly be the one that we need. In Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us these things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. See, God, God didn't give, didn't uh, spare his son. He allowed his son to die so that we could live. 
He allowed his son to give up his blood so that we can survive. Who is he who condemns, please? Uh, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God and is, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall the distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Can anything in this life, virus or anything, whatever, can anything separate us from the love of Christ? I don't think so. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yes, we might die. But who cares? What? How can you say that? Because even death cannot separate us. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, Dave, uh, uh, Paul wrote this during a time where Christians were being slaughtered. He says, we're being killed all day long, yet we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angel nor principality, some demon out there, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, nothing can separate us from God. No mandate. No uh, quarantine, no virus. Nothing can separate us. We can separate us from each other. It can separate us from everyday life, but it cannot separate us from the love of God. You know what can separate us though? Your choice. If you choose to not trust God, that will separate us. But if you choose to trust God today, he will take you out of the bubble and he will put you into his fortress. He'll connect with you, he'll embrace you, he'll take you into his arms, so that one day we'll actually physically be reunited with him. Subscribe to the Daily Devotionals podcast wherever you usually listen to your podcasts to receive your weekly dose of positivity with a biblical foundation. I'd like to remind you that this special edition can be found on a video version on Pastor Wayne's website. You can find the link in the description. It is waynejamel.com. Not only that, but you can find all the other podcasts and also a video version. Follow that link and be blessed. I pray that God will journey with you and see you next time.